Uh, let's open in a word of prayer as we open God's word this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that uh, by your grace you set people free. Uh, that we don't have to be slaves any longer to Satan or to this world, to our own sinful desires. Father, we want to serve Jesus. Uh, it's, we've got to serve somebody. We want it to be him. So would you open our eyes to his word this morning? Help us to see marvelous and wonderful things out of your word today uh, so that we would be transformed, we'd be changed, and that we'd see the glories of Jesus from the pages of the scriptures. We believe that your spirit is here, living in us, living among us, and that he can work in our hearts and minds so that we could see Jesus clearly by faith. Open our eyes today in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, moving on from the great theologian Bob Dylan, we're going to look at God's word this morning. And for those of you that are under 50 like me, you may need to go ask somebody a little older later who Bob Dylan is. Ooh, there's a shot. <laughs> uh, but if you, uh, we're, we're going to take a look here at Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, but that, that's just kind of our starting point. Uh, we're going to be going around to different passages of Scripture. I don't normally do that. Uh, we don't normally do that from this pulpit. We want to kind of explain usually a central text. But I think what we're going to be doing today is looking a little bit more of, uh, of a broad theme of what is ministry. What is ministry? What is the ministry of the church? And this sermon today is just part of a series that we've been going through for the last few weeks, uh, led by our Pastor Phil Howard and, and by Pastor Larry Howard, and, and now uh, I'll, I'll be up here today. But we've been talking about what is the, uh, w uh, why church? Why church? What is God's plan for you and his family? And we ask the question, why church, as if, is there any relevance or any significance remaining in the church? And you've heard the statistics the last few weeks. If you haven't, go back and look at some of our, uh, listen to some of our sermons uh, from the past few weeks. But I know Larry a few weeks ago shared uh, some of the statistics to talk about how attendance in American church is just continuing to decline and go down and go down and go down. And so we're asking the question, why church? Is it significant? Is it relevant? Has God given up on the church? Have we given up on the church? doesn't matter anymore. And so you're here today, thankfully, hopefully, because you feel like there's still some relevance or significance to the church. But why church? Three weeks ago, Pastor Phil talked about what it is for you as an individual, what your purpose is in his church. And we looked at Ephesians chapter 4, and, and we see in Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, it says this, He, being the Lord, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. And so we see that these are leaders who are gifts to the church. Our leaders are gifts to the church. And last week, Pastor Phil talked about who those leaders are. The, the Bible teaches us that our leaders are our elders, and those that serve under them are the deacons. And, and these, two, uh, these two groups, our elders and our deacons, they lead us in serving the Lord Jesus Christ at this local congregation. And it's their job, specifically the elders and pastors and teachers, Ephesians 4.12 says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip or to fit or to prepare the saints. That's you and me if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if we've been set apart by him uh, and are part of, his, uh, part of his people. If we're the saints, we are the ones that are being equipped for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so it's very clear from that verse right there, to answer your question, who are the ministers of the church? That's you, and that's me. And I want everybody to, to take a moment, and I want you to look to your, your right, and I want you to look to your left, 
And now you've seen who the ministers are at Valley Bible Church. They're sitting in front of you. They're sitting behind you. We are collectively the ministers of this church. And so to simply answer the, answer the question, who are the ministers of the church? It's you. <laughs> it's me. It's us. We are the ministers. Every saint, everyone who is said to be a part of God's people through Jesus Christ is a minister. Great. We've answered the question. Wonderful. Let's just close it up and we're all done. But I think if we stop there, we, we may be asking another question. Well, that's all great. I, I'm, I guess I'm willing to accept this role as a minister. But what in the world does that mean? What is ministry? What does that mean? Well, when we talk about the term ministry, we often think of a man or a woman who is entering the ministry, right? When they take on a paid vocation of professional ministry in a church, it's often thought as, uh, of as a career choice, just like you'd enter the medical field or you'd become a lawyer. So you're entering the ministry as a vocation. The perspective is that a leader in the church is, he, uh, is one, is he's the one who does the ministry for his parishioners or his community. It's the perspective that's reflected in the idea of calling people either clergy, meaning the ordained professional ministers, or the congregants who are called the laity. laity. There are those who are under the care of the professional minister. And so in our culture, in our day and age, it's developed over time, and I really think it's an unbiblical concept, that we've got two divisions in the church. We have the clergy, the professional ministers, and the laity who are, who are there and, and untrained and unequipped, and they receive the ministry. And really, and really, if you're part of this laity, the idea is that you just kind of watch the professionals do their work. Just like you would watch a surgeon perform a surgery. Just like you'd watch a lawyer do his work in a courtroom. Just like you'd watch a professional athlete. There are the pros, and I'm sitting and I'm observing. Professional ministry. But is that what ministry is? Are we to take our cues from our culture? Are we to take our cues from the common perspective about what ministry is? I think we ought to really ask ourselves if, if, if God is the one who is assigned ministers, and if, if he gave us Ephesians 4.12 that the, the saints are equipped to do the work of the ministry, we probably ought to ask ourselves, what does God say about ministry? What does God say that it is? I want to uh, say thank you to Pastor Phil. He, he gave me this great article from, from a theological uh, journal. It's called Called to Serve Toward a Philosophy of Ministry by Gary Enrig. And so uh, he, he lays it out beautifully. That was a major help. I also looked at some other uh, resources here. But, but the idea here for ministry, for service, comes from the word diakonia or deaconia. Are you hearing a word there? Deacon, okay, so some of you caught on to that. Deacon, that's right. Our deacons are officers in the church that are in charge of leading ministry in the church. They are the servants by office in the church, uh, though not professionally necessarily. But diakonia is ministry or service. Really the idea of this word is that it's lowly or menial service. The, the, the original idea of diakonia is that it's, it's those who are serving tables. It's serving tables, clearing tables, like a busboy, clearing and serving tables, right? In Jewish and Greek thought, it was understood that diakonia, the idea of, of serving, is always understood as an inferior serving a superior. It's always going up. I'm serving the one who's higher than me. 
Okay, so I, I, here I am, I'm, I'm serving, and so I'm in a room, and uh, here's my master, here's his friends, they're sitting at the table, I'm a slave or I'm a servant, and I go, and because they're the superiors and I'm the inferior, I am serving them. They wouldn't serve me, that would be ridiculous. So I'm waiting at the table, or I'm caring for the, the household needs, I'm sweeping the floors, I'm washing the dishes, I'm mopping the floors and, and cleaning I'm accomplishing tasks with no apparent dignity. This was the idea behind diakonia or ministry or service. It was thought of as degrading. It was thought of as dishonorable to be a minister or a servant. Sometimes in rare occasions, sometimes noble servants would be honored in private by their master by allowing them to sit at the table. So if I'm the master now and I said, boy, you, you just did a great job tonight serving all my guests. Why don't you take a load off and I'll come and I'll serve you. But that was even in the most rare occasions would that ever happen. And even when that did happen, the honor wasn't seen in doing the serving. The honor was still focused on the one being served rather than the one doing the serving, even if there was a reversal of roles. The great Greek philosopher Plato was writing about a conversation that Socrates was having with another group of Greek philosophers. And one of these philo philosophers said this, How can a man be happy when he has to serve someone? How can a man be happy when he has to serve someone? Meaning... How, an, how can anyone ever pursue happiness when he is not a freed man, but he is actually serving? You see, the idea here and the prevailing perspective in this day and age was that happiness isn't found in serving, but the one being served. There was honor in that. There was prestige in that. There was joy and happiness in that because you got to kick back while everybody else met your needs. That was the prevailing perspective about diakonia, about service, about ministry. It was not the path to happiness. For how could a man be happy when he has to serve someone? But we see something happen here. Jesus comes onto the scene. Right in the middle of this time of, of Greek philosophers and Jewish thought who, who saw that being the superior, being served by the inferior is the path to happiness. But Jesus, as often was his custom, he turned the perspective of service and diakonia and ministry and he flipped it on its head. You see, Jesus, according to him, he said, ministry, service is the lifestyle of one of my followers. A minister is one who by choice and position has come under the authority of his master and who therefore serves others in love and gratitude. It's taking the whole perspective and it's, it's just flipping it on its head. So what is ministry? What is ministry? What is serving? Why, why is it something that we even want to be a part of? Is there any happiness in serving? What is the ministry is the question we want to answer hopefully this morning as we examine the scriptures. And there are three things I'd like for you to, to, to see here about the ministry. Three things if you'd like to take notes. Three D's here. The ministry is first defined by Jesus. The ministry is defined by Jesus. Secondly, the ministry is distributed, distributed among God's people. And thirdly, the ministry is delivered to the world. The ministry is defined by Jesus. 
the ministry is distributed among God's people and the ministry is delivered to the world. So what is the ministry? How would we even define it? Let's take a look at what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28. Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28. Now in Matthew 19, before we read these verses, you have to understand, Jesus had just got done saying in Matthew 19, he told his disciples, you are all going to be there next to me in the kingdom of God. And I'm going to be sitting on a throne because I am the king. And you're going to be sitting on 12 thrones to judge Israel along with me and my kingdom. That's pretty good. That sounds like a pretty good deal, Jesus. I knew following you was going to pay off eventually, right? And so I'm sure that they were like, wow, that's, that's amazing. I mean, it hasn't been easy to this point, but if that's our future, sign me up for it. But that wasn't enough for some of the disciples. That wasn't enough. It wasn't enough just to sit on one of the thrones and help judge Israel in the kingdom. It goes a little bit further. You see in Matthew 20, uh, 20 verse 20, we see that the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it that you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in the kingdom. <laughs> I don't want just one of the thrones. I want them to have the two best thrones, the two that are closest to you, so that everybody else down the line on these thrones still have to look up to them too. They got to have the highest place of honor. Verse 22, you don't know what you're saying, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, hearing this conversation, they were indignant. These guys, who do they think they are trying to get in front of us? They were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them all together. I can imagine them walking along. He can hear the arguments and the fights. And he's like, all right, I'm pulling the car over. That's it. Enough with the fighting. But he sets them aside and says, it's time to teach you something. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, the Romans, the Greeks, those in the culture around us and all over the world, the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them but not so with you instead instead whoever wants to become great among you must be your diakonos must be your servant must be your minister and whoever wants to be first must be your slave just as the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We see that the ministry right here, the service that Jesus is talking about is defined by him and his disciples were told, look guys, the Gentiles, they love the Lord it over them, but this kind of service that I'm modeling to you and showing you, I'm telling you that this is the path to greatness. Greatness isn't found in having the highest place of honor. You see, what I'm here to tell you is that if you follow me, you're going to find out that greatness is found on the path 
of service. Greatness is found on the path of ministering to others. You see, Jesus is flipping the script on us. He's telling us that going down is the way that you go up. That ministry and service is defined as benefiting the other rather than demanding service from the other. It's focused on the other. It's a giving of your life for another. Look at what he says in verse 28. He's making the comparison. I want you to be servants and seeing that this is the path of greatness just as by comparison, just as the Son of Man, speaking of himself, did not come to be served, did not come to be ministered to, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is flipping the whole paradigm on its head and he's saying, you believe the way the Gentiles believe that greatness is found and being served by everyone else, but I'm here to tell you because I'm showing it to you that greatness is found on the path of service. Greatness is found on the path of going low. And so much so that I'm going to go all the way to my death to become a ransom for many and that is how I'm going to serve them and that's the way you're going to serve others. Greatness first defined by Jesus, excuse me, service first defined by Jesus is going from being the one served to become the one doing the serving. And that is the path of greatness. Service, ministry defined by Jesus is focused on the other, not demanding from the other. Okay, so there's a starting point, serving others. But, but what, if, what if I come into the room and I see a whole group of people, and I could tell the one that's got the most influence, that's the best well off, and I think to myself, ooh, well then maybe I'll go serve that other. <laughs> maybe I'll go serve that other because maybe I'll get something in return. Or maybe they'll use their influence to tell others about how awesome of a servant I am, and then everybody can recognize what a great servant Matthew is. Look at Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 37. We get another definition of what it means to serve. Ministry defined by Jesus is focused on the other. And it's the path of greatness. Mark chapter 9, verse 33. Jesus and his disciples came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, probably Peter's, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? Oh man, more arguments. But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. I mean, I've been there before. You've been there before. My kids have been there before. What is this all about? I don't know. What are you talking about? Mm -mm. No, not me. I didn't do it. <laughs> they're quiet about it. I think they're embarrassed about it. But Jesus knows their hearts. He sits them down. Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last. And the diakonos, the servant, the minister of all. That's very similar to what we just saw. The path to greatness is the path to service. But he gets a little clear, more clear in this passage. Then, here's what he did, verse 36 of Mark 9. He took a little child whom he placed among them, and taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes one of the least of these. What did a child have to offer Jesus? What, what, what could a child do for Jesus? 
What kind of benefit? Or how, how could Jesus' uh, influence be increased by caring for a child? It couldn't. There wasn't anything that this child could do to enhance Jesus' ministry or in, to enhance his reputation. You see, Jesus is, is showing another definition of this service, this ministry. It isn't just focused on others. It's focused on others who are in greatest need. Taking the child in his arms, taking the one who's in need in his arms, and he says, if you want to be great, and if you want to serve, you've got to look for those that are in most need. The servant of all ministers to those who have the greatest need. Greatness isn't found in serving the great. Greatness is defined in serving the least, the least of these, the weak, serving those who have nothing to offer in return. You see, if Jesus walked into a room, if he was ready to serve, he wouldn't be hanging out with the high and mighty. He'd find the lowly, the weak, he find those that were similar to his day as the tax collectors and the sinners, the outcasts, those that have no business being in his presence, he'd search them out and find them and say, the least of these, I'm going to take you up in my arms. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to minister to you. Jesus is defining ministry for us. It's focused on others, and it finds the greatest need to go meet the greatest need, serving the least in our midst. We find another aspect of Jesus' definition of ministry. John chapter 12, verse 23 through 28. John 12, 23 through 28. It says this, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me, diakonia, whoever serves me must follow me. Whoever ministers for me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. Where is he talking about? Where is he talking about? Is it a pleasant place? Initially, he's talking about a place that's leading him to his death. My father will honor the one who ministers for me or serves me. And now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour of death. Can I just go hide somewhere and get away from all this mess? He says, no, it's for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. What we see here is that ministry, according to Jesus, is, is someone who is a servant who is following Jesus and is willing to die to self. A servant. A minister is someone who is willing to die to self. They see that through serving, through ministry, through dying to self, it's the very purpose for which they serve. Jesus understood it would be wrong for me to say that I'm serving my Father and I'm here to serve all of you. If I run away, 
from the very thing that God has called me to, dying to self, and in fact, providing my life as a ransom for many. This is why I came. You see, a servant doesn't run when times get hard. Servant, uh, servants and ministers, they don't leave when it says it's time to give up something. They say, of course I'm going to give it up because I'm a servant. That's what I've been called to do. God has called me to this purpose. The path to glory, then, is dying to self. Ministry, according to Jesus, is moving from being the one served to moving to being the one doing the serving. It's focused on the other. Service, according to Jesus, is, is not found in serving the great. It's defined as serving the least. And ministry, according to Jesus, means that you're willing to die to self because it's the path to eternal life. Ministry, according to Jesus, is serving the other, serving the needy, and serving by dying to yourself. You know, I had, an illust uh, had, a, had a co-worker, uh, I had a co-worker for a job that I worked at, oh gosh, probably close to 10 years ago now, and I was having just a horrible, horrible time with my computer that day. I couldn't get any work done. Very frustrating. I think the virus, computer virus elves came in overnight and totally messed up my computer. Well, it was a very busy day for our t IT guy who, who worked on our computers. And so uh, I came to him. I said, man, I can't get any work done. I really need your help. And he gave me this look like, dude, you picked the very worst day ever to have a computer problem. I said, hey, man, I didn't ask for this. I don't know what happened. So he was doing his work, and then all of a sudden he comes over. He says, all right, what's going on? And I show him what's going on. He says, all right. He spends about 45 minutes on my computer, and I don't know what he's doing, some kind of weird surgical procedure on my computer or something. And about 45 minutes later, he comes back. He says, hey, man, it's, it's all taken care of. You're, you're flying now. And I, I was just so blessed because he, he helped me. He had a lot going on. And he sacrificed his time on, in a very busy day to make sure I got what I needed. And so, you know, I, I, I was a believer at the time, and, and I'm thinking in this paradigm of, wow, he, he just, he served me. Like, it was a very noble thing that he did. And so I blurted out, and I didn't think twice. I said, wow, what a servant. And he looked at me, and he said, what? <laughs> he looked at me, I mean, he was, he was kind of joking, but I could tell, like, Hearing him, you know, he heard me say this. It was kind of offensive. What did you just call me? You called me what? You think I'm your slave or something? I said, oh, no, no, no. Uh, and I, I was fumbling over my words because I'm thinking, how do I convey this to him in a way that helps him understand? I, I'm trying to compliment him because according to Jesus, this, this is the path to greatness. It's serving. But I think we have the perspective of my friend who thinks, servant. That's the last thing in the world I want to be. You want to call me somebody that has to do whatever you ask me to do? That I'm at your beck and call whenever you need me? If that's, is, is that who you think I am? See, there was a, a matter of authority there that, that he didn't want to submit to. And he was offended by it. And we joked about it a little bit because he realized I was just fumbling over my words like an idiot. <laughs> but I'm afraid that's often our perspective. You're going to call me what? Now, it's okay if I serve you of my own will, but if you're actually going to treat me like a servant, no, 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 you just crossed the line there. But according to Jesus, ministry is defined as looking out for the other. Our commitment to Jesus demands that we imitate him as the servant. He's a servant in a category all 
by himself. If you think that you're a great servant, just look to Jesus and you realize that your meager efforts pale in comparison to the one who is called the qualitative servant. The servant of all servants. But our commitment to Jesus demands that we imitate him, the servant. The call to follow is a call to service. It's a call to die to self. It's a call to associate with the lowly and the needy. But, Jesus says, this is the path of greatness. This is the path of eternal life. Are you willing to follow him in ministry? Are you willing to think of others? Are you willing to look for the lowly and the needy? And are you willing to die to yourself? This is the path of greatness, friends. This is ministry defined by Jesus. Secondly, the ministry is distributed among God's people. First, the ministry is defined by Jesus. Then the ministry is distributed among God's people. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 through 11 says this. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to diakoneo, to serve others, to minister to others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Right here we see this. We are distributed this ministry amongst ourselves, and we serve each other. God has given us this ministry, and now this ministry is for serving each other to build up the body of Christ. And that's what Pastor preached several weeks ago, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so according to Peter here in 1 Peter 4, we serve one another. Well, how do we do that? How do we do that? I'm not Jesus and last time I checked, I don't think you're Jesus either. So how in the world are you going to minister to me? What do you have to offer? What do I have to offer you? Well, God has answered that question for us as well. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8 say this. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one, one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. But this is the answer. How do we serve one another? If Peter tells us now, it's been distributed to all of you, so now serve one another, how do I do that? The answer is that you've been given a gift. 
You have been given a gift. I want to tell you today, friends, you may feel I have nothing to offer God. I have nothing to offer this church. I don't have a seminary degree. I've never been to Bible college. Uh, I don't have any understanding about how to do teach classes or lead a small group or, 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 or even greet people as they come in through the door. I can barely smile. I have an ugly smile. My teeth are terrible, you may think. I don't know. You come up with every excuse in the world, but I'm telling you, God has gifted you in a special way to minister to one another here at this church. He has gifted you. He's gifted you. The ministry is distributed among God's people that we serve one another and we do it with gifts. So that means I'm going to go out now and I'm going to serve and I'm just going to go out Lone Ranger. Here we go. I've got my gifts with me, boom, boom, and we're going to go out and we're going to serve people until they fall over, right? Well, how do we do this? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11, and I won't read all of this for time's sake, but we're going to take a look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, picking up the idea of gifts. Here Paul writes again, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Do you hear the diversity in all that language? Differing gifts. He's given it to each one of us, and he distributes them freely. And to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. There is, to one there is given through a spirit a message of wisdom. And he goes on, but in verse 11 he says, all these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. He goes on in this chapter to talk about the fact that we are a body with different body parts. Some of us are a a toe, some of us are a finger, some of us are a pancreas, or a liver, or an earlobe, or whatever. Some of us are a, a follicle of hair. I don't have too many of those, but we all have different gifts, different abilities, but we're all here together for the common good of the body. The ministry is distributed among God's people so that we serve one another through the gifts that God has assigned to us, and we do it together in community, in community. I'd like to take just a few minutes, and I'm running short on time, but I want to take a few minutes because I have to share with you a very special person that's here in our midst today. She's been serving Jesus for a long, long time. So I'm going to ask Mrs. Marion Johns, would you come up and join me? Give her a round of applause. Got the green mic here. Hi, Mrs. Jones. I'm going to give you the microphone because I've got another microphone. I'm not very good at using this. I'll, I'll hold it for you, okay? <laughs> so this is Mrs. Jones, and if you could kind of face the congregation, they won't bite, I promise, okay? They haven't bit me yet, right? Yeah. Okay, so Mrs. Jones, uh, I, I wanted to ask you a few questions here. Uh, how long have you been following Jesus? Since I was five years old. Since you were five years old. Mm -hmm. And so that's been quite a while then, I would uh, say. Quite a while. <laughs> quite a few years. Okay. When did you start serving Jesus? Uh, when I was about 11 years old. 11 years old. Yeah, I started working in the nursery. Okay, so you didn't have a driver's license before you started serving Jesus? No, no, wow. No. And this is before you were married and had... My parents took me. W wonderful. Mm -hmm. So you've been serving Jesus a long time. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Well, what's, what are some ways that you've served Jesus in his church? 
Say that again? Or what are some ways that you've served Jesus? And, and what, what are some of the ways? Well, I do everything that anybody asks me. <laughs> well, we like that a lot. We like that a lot. I what like working with the ways? kids. You like working with kids. Yes. What are you currently doing, Mrs. Johns? Hmm? What are you currently doing to serve Jesus? I, I have a, a Wednesday night Bible study. Wednesday night with a group. How, how old are they? Uh, were they about five to seven? Yep, yep. Yeah. I think they're second graders, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, second graders at our Awanas club. Yes. How long have you been serving in our Awana ministry? In Awanas? Mm -hmm. Since it started, I Since think. Since it started. And I can verify with Mrs. Howard, it's been yeah. about 30 years, right? 30 years. So you've been in our Awana ministry, which equips kids to learn the Bible for 30 years. Yes. Yeah, that's a round of applause for you, right? That's my favorite segment. That's your favorite. I love working with kids. Yeah. So uh, what have been some of the obstacles that you've had to face in serving Jesus? Well, I guess time would be the most time. obstacle. Time. Yeah, you're not paid to do this, are you? But, uh, patience, I have. The Lord gives me plenty patience. of that. Patience. So you've got to make the time and you've got to have patience. And he always, he always figures it out for me. And when I say, Lord, I have to do this now, I want you to get me there. Yeah. He always gets me there. I don't question it. He, he never questioned. He gets you there. Beautiful. No. Nope. Nope. Beautiful. Uh, so, Mrs. Johns, uh, when when you face those obstacles, uh, you know, or challenges in serving Jesus, what has been the motivating factor that that has caused you to want to serve I Jesus? That I have the pleasure and the opportunity of teaching children how much Jesus loves them and what He can do for them. It's beautiful. That's my my main point. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to ask you, you know, somebody out here today uh, may be thinking, you know what, I, just in my, my stage of life, I've got too much going on. Or, or maybe they feel like I don't have anything to offer God in mm -hmm. service to him. What, what, if they were standing before you right now and you wanted to encourage them, what would you say to them to encourage them to get involved in service? I would say to them, if you don't know the Lord and you don't understand about him, you just come to where he is. Mm -hmm. And it might be a church. It wouldn't be the Bible because they may not understand that. Mm -hmm. But I would offer what I have to offer. It's beautiful. So mm -hmm. whatever you've got to offer, just give it to Jesus. Yes. That's yes. beautiful. That's beautiful. So, Is there anything you want to tell our congregation while you got the microphone? Well, I can say this one thing. If you trust the Lord and if you believe in him and if you follow his word, nothing's impossible. I've done things that, to me, were impossible. And I get down and say, Lord, you did it. You did it. He does it, huh? Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Mrs. John, so much for sharing that with us today. Now, I, I wanted just to, to have Mrs. John speak. I had Bernie Lightfoot speak in the first service. But I, I just wanted to share with you some people that, that the world would consider, oh, that's laity, that they're not the professionals. Let somebody else do it. But as you can hear from Mrs. Johns, she's doing it because she loves Jesus. And whatever she's got to offer, she's going to give it to the Lord. Because that's what, that's what followers of Jesus do. We minister. We serve. We do it in community with each other. We serve each other through the gifts that God has given to you. And Mrs. Johns, thank you so much for using your gifts here at Valley Bible Church and in Awana. It's precious to have you here. I want to ask you, are you using your gifts in service to the body at Valley Bible Church? I want to tell you, we, not that we might not or that we maybe won't, but we cannot grow in maturity in looking like Jesus without you.
Let me say that again. This church cannot be what God wants it to be, friend. If you're a follower of Jesus and you call this, this church your home, we cannot be what God wants us to be without you. We need every body part. Every body part functioning together. What kind of quarterback goes out there without his throwing arm to win a game? He can't do it. Every body part is necessary. We need you, friends. We need you. We cannot grow without you. What obstacles need to be removed in your life so that you could function properly as God has designed you? Maybe those three or four hobbies should be <laughs> taken down by two or three hobbies. Maybe we need to tell the Lord, you know what, Lord, I'm filling my life with a lot of pleasure and a lot of comfort, but that's not what marks a follower of Jesus. And today I want to start using my gifts and my talents to serve Jesus because that's what a follower of Jesus does. He's calling you today, friend. If you are not involved, he is calling you today to start functioning as the member of the body that he's called you to be. If you want to get involved, we have some wonderful people that can help you find your place here in the body of Christ. We thank Karina and others who, who are uh, serving at our enlistment table in the lobby. And uh, they're eager. They're eager to help you follow Jesus through serving the body here at Valley Bible Church. Well, let me move to my final point. Let me close. The ministry first is defined by Jesus. The ministry is distributed among God's people. And thirdly, the ministry must, must not stop with us, but must be delivered to the world. 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21. I'm actually going to skip down to verse 16. 2 Corinthians 5, 16. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. And we heard it read by, by some of our uh, baptismal uh, uh, candidates today. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. If you're in Jesus today, friend, you are something brand new. That's the Bible. That's not me. That's, that's the Bible. Your body may be wasting away, but inside you are a brand new creature in Jesus Christ. Glory to God. The old has gone, the new is here. Sean, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God. Did you hear that? All this comes from where? God, who reconciled us. He made peace with us. He made a way so that we could be in relationship with Him. He reconciled us to Himself through Christ. And now listen to this. This blows my mind. He reconciled us to himself and, and he gave us, he gave us the ministry, the diakonia, the service, the opportunity, the privilege of reconciling others to him. He has given you, he's passed on, he's entrusted to you, friends, this ministry of reconciliation. Does that blow your mind? Who am I? Who are we that he would entrust us with the most important ministry in all the world? What is that ministry? Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Thanks be to God. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation to us. You see, this ministry is, this service, this diakonia is wrapped up in a message, friends. It's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that through him and through his sacrificial death on the cross and burial and resurrection, by his grace, when you trust in him and his work, 
you can be reconciled to God through the forgiveness of your sins. Glory be to God. What a ministry. And that ministry has been passed on to you. Therefore, verse 20 of 2 Corinthians 5, we are Christ's ambassadors. John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not, have, uh, shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world as an ambassador, but that through him all might be saved. All might be saved through him. He was sent as the Father's ambassador to reconcile sinners like you and me to him. I want to tell you today, if you've never been reconciled to God, today is the day of salvation. Jesus Christ has come as an ambassador from the Father to say, you can be reconciled and have all your sins forgiven. But here's what's amazing, friends. Jesus didn't stop there. He said in John chapter 20, after he rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples in John 20, and he said, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. He showed them his hands and his feet and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And in John 20, 21, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me as an ambassador, I'm sending you as an ambassador. Jesus is passing the torch. He didn't just come and say, all right, the work is done, the ministry's over, just go ahead and chill out until I come back. He said, no, I accomplished reconciliation, and now I'm passing this ministry on to you. You're going to be my ambassadors. Back in 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through you and through me, through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We implore, we beg, we plead, be reconciled to God. Return back to him. This is the same word used in Luke 5 when a leper came before Jesus and he wanted to be healed by Jesus. He got down and he begged and he pleaded and he implored on his hands and knees at the feet of Jesus and he said, please heal me. And we have the same word here. Though we're not asking anybody give us something, we're saying, I'm begging you, be reconciled to God. Same word. We beg, we plead. Does that sound weird to you? Does that sound beneath you? You see, this ministry, this ministry of reconciliation to the world is not a ministry to the, the rich and famous. It's ministry to the poor. It's ministry to the needy. It's ministry to widows and orphans in their distress. Getting into the mess of this world to, to, to accomplish this ministry of reconciliation, it's, it's hard It'll break your heart at times. It may even cost you your life. But we beg. We plead. We get on our knees. Because that's the posture of a servant. It's this ministry of reconciliation. And some of you may be thinking to yourself, that's beneath me. It wasn't beneath Jesus. He came as a servant. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he's calling us to accomplish, to continue on this ministry of reconciliation. So, so we take the posture of a servant to minister. We beg, we plead, 
be reconciled to God. Maybe that begging, that pleading looks like actually going across the street and talking to your neighbor. Maybe it looks like taking them out for a cup of coffee. Maybe it means that you're actually allowing people to come into your home. Maybe it means that you're giving the shirt off your back to bless someone else. We take the posture of a servant. We take the posture of one who's begging and pleading, be reconciled to God. Is begging sinners to be reconciled to God, is that below you? How do you understand Jesus continuing ministry as an ambassador? Who who are the people in your world that he has called you to be an ambassador for? What sacrifices do you and I and we need to make today to better fulfill this ministry? What hobbies need to be set aside for a time? What new habits need to be formed so that we as followers of Jesus can have the posture of a servant and plead and beg and implore to be reconciled to God? Will you take this posture today in following Jesus? The posture of a minister, the posture of a servant. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Jesus is the servant. If we ever wonder what does ministry look like, all we must do is look at Jesus. The one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He sought the poor. He sought the needy. He sought those that were low. And he showed us that that is the path of greatness. Father, I pray that you would build up this body as these saints are equipped to do the ministry. Pastor Phil Howard is not the only minister. Pastor Larry Howard, the elders, the deacons, they are not the only ministers. The staff are not the only ministers. We minister together. Build up this body, Father. For those that have been sitting on the sidelines, I pray that they would follow Mrs. John's example and that we'd get involved because we love Jesus and we love his people. And Father, I pray, would you put it on our hearts as we've gathered here to get today and we get ready to scatter, would you, through us, continue that ministry of reconciliation, that we would find our neighbors, that we'd find our family, we'd find our loved ones that need to be forgiven and reconciled to God, and teach us, Father, how to beg, teach us how to plead, teach us how to implore, teach me to have the posture of a servant today, Father. We believe that you could do that in us and through us. Thank you for defining the ministry for us. Thank you for these ministers that are here today. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray all this. Amen.